Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, (laughs) we're not reading a book. We're doing a little mini episode about the film adaptation of Coraline by Neil Gaiman. By far the most... My favorite of any of the films that we've watched of the books that we were doing. Yeah, which isn't... <laughs> I mean, that's not a very high bar. Not hard. Well, uh, again. Just for reference. Well, other than the... I would say the best movie we've watched um, as, you know, post-book reading mini-episode is the Wrinkle in Time adaptation that came out this year. Although that also was... I, I would call it a, a good but uneven film. Um, but the others we've watched are Never Ending Story and The Black Cauldron. Um, Never Ending Story is beloved, as I understand it, as a film. Me and Grace weren't super into it, but that's just our opinion. Anyway, if you're interested in any of those, go seek them out. Um, We somehow missed the opportunity to do a mini episode on Howl's after we've read it, on Howl's Moving Castle. I was just thinking about that the other day. What's wrong with that? That's like our favorite (laughs) movie. (laughs) I literally did a thing for work today that was list your favorite movies, and that's one of the ones I put down. And I thought about this today. Why didn't Uh, we do a mini episode on that? Okay, I don't know. Maybe we can do a retroactive mini episode. And who am I to call Wrinkle in Time uneven when we're clearly wildly (laughs) uneven as well? (laughs) Exactly. Anyway... We do these movie adaptation episodes just to kind of have a fun counterpart to our longer, uh, more serious book undertakings and also kind of talk about how these different filmmakers adapt the books and the choices that they make. And then also a little bit about what our adult perception versus childhood perception of those movies is. Um, This one's a little different because it's a relatively recent film, as in it came out in the last 10 years. Um, I was not... Not a child any longer. (laughs) Grace is so old. I was in college. Um, But I still think my feelings about it have changed over the years. Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah, I have something to say about that. So just a little... So get ready. Just a little bit of background. Um, And we do thoroughly spoil everything we discuss. So if you haven't watched the movie recently... Or if you haven't listened to our book episode or read the book, I think you'd enjoy all of those things before listening to this. So go do all of those things come back in like a day and we'll be here. Just take a day. Take just a take a Coraline tell, day. Tell your employer yeah. that you're having a mental health day and then just go do all those things. Coraline, the film adaptation was released in 2009. It was written and directed by Henry Selick, who is, and it was, the animation was produced by Leica Studios, um, or just Leica, I guess is what they go by. Uh, They're based in Portland, and I mentioned in our book episode, I saw an incredible exhibit about their work that showed all their sets and some of the processes that they used. Yeah, so Grace um, actually saw some of the sets from the yeah, movie that we just watched, so which cool. is uh, pretty cool. I was visiting my best friend, and she said, hey, this exhibit sounds interesting. Do you want to check it out? And then I made us stay there for like three hours. Lesson, don't take Grace to a museum. Well, a She museum, cried when we saw the Muppets exhibit. Which is also based around puppetry. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm, I'm really into puppets. Very into stop motion, puppets, animation, everything in that realm. Um, so I don't even know why I brought that. Oh, 
so I, I know a little bit about how their animation process works because it's a bit unique. They use a combination of stop motion and computer generated graphics, um, but they oh, also okay. do everything possible to make the CGI look like, like stop, stop motion. motion. Yeah. Um, and they'll like manually paint on top of it and things like that just to give things that rougher edge. I, their aesthetic and Coraline, is it's hard to tell the moments wonderful. that are computerized. Yeah. I didn't know that, so I wasn't looking for it, but I did wonder a few times, like, how did they use stop motion animation to do that? So that makes sense. Um, because it looked like stop motion animation, but I was like, how did they make that? Yeah. What are some of their other movies? Coraline was their first motion picture. Um, they had made a short before that, but their other movies are... Paranorman, The Box Trolls, oh. and Kubo and the Two Strings. Are there other full-length oh features? Kubo and the Two Strings has been in my Netflix queue for... You haven't watched it? ...forever, and now that I know that it's the watch same studio it. that did Coraline, I'm going to watch it. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Paranorman was like a two... See, yeah. I also thought that Paranorman was Tim Burton, because I swear it gets lumped into Tim Burton Yeah, we category. do need to talk about the Tim Burton effect. There's a reason why And that's people... why I hadn't watched Paranorman, because I was like, oh, I don't know if it's... Although I do really like Corpse Bride, which is Tim Burton. Okay, now I'm just babbling. Yeah, we won't we won't talk too much about Tim Burton, but he is connected to the director of Coraline. Okay. Because Henry Selleck directed Nightmare Before Christmas, uh-huh. which, which again, a lot of people think like. Tim Burton directed, but he kind of created and produced. He oh did produce it, and he created the characters and kind of the underlying story. Tim Burton directed Eddie? Stop watching <laughs> movies. Am I just... He did do Corpse Corp Bride. Corpse Bride. Henry Selleck is... Basically an animation, a stop motion animation visionary. He directed James and the Giant Peach um, as well. Oh, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah, and it's funny because if you say to someone like, oh, this director created these two films that were probably important to you in your childhood, Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach, most folks are going to say Nightmare Before Christmas. That was... Very formative, but I would say for us, James, James and the Giant, Giant Peach. Hundred percent, much more. Hundred percent. So. That movie is really scary too. It is, and you can see in that the underpinnings of what is fully realized. I think in Coraline, in so many ways, that the bugs, especially and the Giant Peach in Coraline. Yeah, isn't that cool? Oh my! Gosh. I want to. Learn much more about film My mind and then is have a blown. master class on the two. Holy crap. Speaking of which, we actually had a really wild coincidence discovered via Instagram this past week. Um, another podcast is also releasing episodes about both the book, Coraline, and the film adaptation at the same time as us. Um, podcast synthesis. Podcast buds. Their podcast is called Ink to Film, and they read a book and then watch the movie adaptation and have an episode for each one and discuss it. And they have a really fun dynamic, I think similar to ours, mm-hmm. a similar approach. And one is a writer and one is a filmmaker, I believe, so they know their stuff and... I listened to their Coraline episode about the book and it was really fun. So I think you guys would definitely enjoy it. And here's a little promo for their podcast. Hey there, I'm James. And I'm Luke. And we're the hosts of the Ink to Film podcast. A show about your favorite books and their movie counterparts. We've covered Fellowship of the Ring. I still to this day don't know how I feel about Elijah Wood as Frodo. Oh my God, man. Blasphemy. Ready Player One. 
you can be kind of jaded and think about these things as like just straight up references, but like these are the things that formed me with guests like Emily Saveda. I think it's the universal blue glow of sci-fi <laughs> and I love making things glow blue. I do it a lot in my books as well. And Mike Garnson. It's like every time there's a chance for this body horror, Carpenter will surprise us somehow by taking it in a new direction. New episodes every Thursday. Listen now wherever you download podcasts or at inktofilm.com. We were talking about James and the Giant Peach and Henry Selick at large. So he um, he met Neil Gaiman uh, some time ago. How do I, how do I just like meet Neil Gaiman? Like <laughs> what, in a coffee shop? Like, oh, what's up? You're a genius. No, I think they were fans of one another's work. Um, and That's how so, it works. You know, I was reading an article about that today. You have to be famous to meet to other get famous, famous people. famous. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they met, they discussed the possibility of adapting Coraline. It started out as a much smaller, shorter project. And mm. then Henry Selick decided that they wanted to make it into a full length picture and decided to add in a whole character in the form of YB and his grandmother, I would say. She's not in the movie very much, but she creates a lot of action. She's important, um... We can get into this more, but I think that she's an important glue that's not necessary in the book, but that in film reads very well, and I understand mm -hmm. why they did it. And that introduced the doll conceit, which is very cool, definitely fitting with Coraline's aesthetic as a film, mm -hmm. um, but not a part of the book. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just in general, kind of fleshed out, and then they set the whole thing in Oregon, Actually, technically in Ashland, Oregon, which I learned doing research, which oh. is a very pretty uh, small town, um, and worked on it. I think they said it took 20 months to film because <laughs> stop motion. <laughs> it takes a long time. Um, yeah, I read that they had a team at times of between 30 and 35 animators that would be producing between 90 to 100 seconds of footage a week, so... Uh, Henry Selick also involved a Japanese artist named Tadahiro Uesugi. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, and, and asked him to be the concept artist because they were looking for something that was a very different feel from mm. most animation, yeah. which makes sense given the and subject they matter. Yeah. And they did a great job. <laughs> it's really easy to tell. I mean, when Coraline came out, it was, it did well at the box office, um, but I would say it's in the years since that it's become such a what year did it come out? Classic in two thousand nine. I think it's become very beloved. The number of Coraline fan accounts on Instagram alone are staggering, mm. <laughs> which I discovered since following the hashtag. It's this just week. the aesthetic is so cool. It's so unique. It's just fantastic. It's so dark in a really um, fun and gothic and secret way it's just i really enjoy it and it's, it's so it's awkward in a really excellent yeah. way if that makes sense no totally i mean i was about to say i feel like they play into the body horror aspects of the book by having people's forms be very strange yes um, yeah like Coraline's parents 
just as an example, her dad's head stretches out in front of his body and he has, you know, seemingly a big like hump and, back. and huge circles under his Enormous eyes. Enormous like, eyes. He just looks exhausted. Her mother's frame is outrageous. Yes. <laughs> um, like the most pear shape, impossibly pear shaped right. person yeah. you could imagine, plus hers and Coraline's heads um, are shaped like upside down sorry pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's the They're, I mean they have comparison like comparison that gave me Yeah, their heads are just really interesting. Really the I love odd. Mr. Bobo. Mr. Bobo's body is incredible. His <laughs> body I, is wild. I love the ridiculous super strong Russian accent they did for him. It's really funny. And Madeline pointed out when we were watching that Mr. Bobo's gut moves from his stomach to a big puffed out chest yeah, when he's in, in the his other world. ideal other world yeah, version, uh-huh. which is also really fun. Um, yeah, the design overall is absolutely incredible. And I was fully transported in some moments of watching the movie, which is rare, I think, especially for... A movie that is clearly a children's movie. I mean, not so in a way where it's insipid or like pandering, but it moves with the cadence of like a character clearly voicing their thoughts and feelings to like a gentle action piece um, to like something pretty happening. Mm -hmm. Um, It has that kind of predictable pattern that makes sense for a movie that's for children. Yeah, I guess. But it's not an average children's movie for sure. And I don't, I don't think it's a children's movie in the way that you'd say like, well, I also love movies intended for children. Um, so it's hard for me to, I'm not putting any qualifiers or like value on any of this. It's just true that work that's made for younger people is put into more familiar patterns so that they can follow along for sure. But I just think it's like, all of the books that we've read. It's incredibly mm-hmm. accessible for people of all ages. And it's just yeah. such a delightful movie. And while the book, I think, tends to invigorate children and frighten adults, I think it's the opposite for the movie. And there mm-hmm. are so many people online commenting on Coraline videos and things like that, just saying, wow, this scarred me. <laughs> I uh, can't watch this scene the, even now. The body horror in the movie is intense. Moments of other mother's body growing, yeah. um, of her. What happens to her other father is really scary in the movie. Yep. Um, Seeing his progression sort of. A forceful and spank. Um, yeah. Being enmeshed in like a slime globule. The dog bats are a lot less scary. In the yeah, movie. they're pretty cute. Yeah, they're like just Scotties with the dogs wings. are adorable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're really adorable. Um, yeah, so that's interesting too. And I think uh, the the parts that I that like bother me and get to me are um, YB's mouth being when sewn up into a smile. Open, yeah. Um, that's really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also I would say I, I really liked the way they animated the ghost children. Um, mm. but it was very just uncomfortable <laughs> being around them because their faces are trapped in a rictus of yeah, horror. Exactly. Um, yeah. and that's unsettling. That is unsettling <laughs> indeed. Because I read it as like. 
that's yeah. how they died mm-hmm. or expired or whatever. And yeah, their final it's moments. Upsetting. Yeah. Uh, so from an adult perspective, that's what bothered me. But I could I can understand the the moments that would be scary to younger ages and just all ages. Mm-hmm. It's but the loveliness that runs through the movie prevents it from ever being full on horror. Yeah. And I also think a large part of that is the music, which I love the was music of note to us from the first moment yeah. of the, the opening of the film. It's fantastic. Um, and we recognized when uh, Other Father was singing that <laughs> it was sounded suspiciously like they might be giants. Yeah. <laughs> um, a favorite band yeah. of us both and of our brother as well. Um Grace said, that's not John Hodgman singing. <laughs> <laughs> Who played Other Father? We haven't even talked about the cast, but we'll get to it. Um, and I learned that there's actually a little controversy with this because They Might Be Giants wrote a soundtrack for the entire movie. And they just couldn't get into a groove with the creative team working on the animation. Oh. And they decided ultimately that they wanted it to be creepier. And it sounds like it was initially going to be a bit sunnier, so they might because be giants. They might be giants is would be a more good upbeat. fit, yeah. Um, and so they ended up not using any of the songs that they wrote except for except the for other father's one. song. Um, and they might be giants haven't released most of the other songs that they wrote for the movie, so I'm really curious to see what yeah. might happen with that. That would be super interesting um, to hear. And uh, the. It's just funny how creative projects take on these different forms. I mean, I'd love to have a movie that was soundtracked by They Might Be Giants, and maybe that will still come one day. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, But the rest of the movie was featuring songs that were composed by a French French composer named Bruno Coulet. Um, And the singing is mostly by a children's Choir. Which is great for creepiness. <laughs> Spot on when you have it done by a children's choir. Um, and apparently it was just in a nonsense language. <laughs> there aren't any actual words. Awesome. Which also heightens the um, That's otherworldliness. Wonderful. Yeah. And the, the music is creepy, but it's also gorgeous. Um, it's like alternatingly gentle and really forceful. Um, and it really stays with you after you finish watching. Mm-hmm. So the visuals, <laughs> the sounds were also very important. Um, I think it's interesting because in some movies, I'm very aware of the voice cast and it feels very important to me. And in this one, it wasn't. Um, I think it's because I was so taken by the way that they adapted the story and Mm -hmm. I was very immersed in it, like I said. Um, But Coraline was played by Dakota Fanning, her mother and other mother by Terry Hatcher, her father and other father by John Hodgman. And then Ian McShane played Mr. Bobo and Keith David played the cat, which I didn't realize until I looked it up, but he's an incredible actor. So that definitely made sense. The cat was The cat is an excellent character. The cat was awesome. I loved the cat. Robert Bailey Jr. played YB. Don't know who that is, but <laughs> we should talk about YB because he 
like I said earlier, was invented for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely makes sense. I like at the beginning, I realized, of course, like Coraline can't just be thinking out loud the entire time. Yeah. And the book focuses so intensely on her inner monologue um, and what she's discovering about her own world and the other world. And so YB does make sense as a character. Yeah. And I liked other YB. I thought yeah. he was a really mm-hmm. interesting force. Um, the only <clears throat> the only problem I had with YB was that he robs Coraline of some of her agency. Yeah, and of her ability to be doing all of this completely alone. Mm-hmm. Be- because like we mentioned in our book episode, she handles this alone with the exception of um using the cat as a weapon (laughs) at one point yeah um but she's the one who throws it and she saves herself and her parents and ultimately like all future children who live in that house um just through her own willpower and intelligence and Mm -hmm. determination and stubbornness to be honest um and the Coraline in the movie is still all of those things. She's still smart and stubborn. She's still very skeptical of adults and doesn't trust anyone and is just generally unimpressed by the people in the world around her. Um, but she loses those key moments from the book when she really has a heroic moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was a little bit of a bummer just from a story perspective. Uh, I do also think, I mean... I sometimes worry that there's a problem with filmmakers for movies of movies for children thinking that there needs to be a boy character and a boy a girl character so mm. that boys and girls can relate to it and appreciate it. And I've seen things like that said before about movies with young just, female leads, which just isn't isn't true the case um, and uh, just pushes the harmful idea that people can only. Yeah. From a very Relate young age, identify with someone who shares yeah. a gender with them, which is dumb. Yeah. But all that aside, YB was still a fun character to have and helped show off just how kind of alienated Coraline is from the world around her because she's very mean to him. Yeah. Um, but he's also difficult from the start. I mean, yeah. he kind of pops out of nowhere, almost runs her over with his bicycle and then his motorized gives a, bicycle gives her a doll that looks just like, and is like, Hey, I found this. Yes. <laughs> like if from the start playing a role in dooming her to being brought into the right, other exactly. world. Yeah. Um, speaking of the doll, the m- opening scene was really the first, the first moment where I was, transfixed um yeah, the doll like being the sewn by other mother's needle hands mm-hmm. is so yeah. cool really well um done. the mouse circus was also mind-blowing <laughs> i was transfixed by the mouse circus yeah wow yeah we were uh, my mouth was almost open <laughs> I, I felt like for the first time i understood what asmr was <laughs> it felt like i was just like Whoa. And it was just <laughs> filling my brain. I mean, I I don't respond to ASMR. Do you not know what it is? I think you're talking about um It's those sensory responses to certain sounds, um, usually sounds, but it can be other sensations that lead to kind of a pleasant from what I understand, like tingling in your body. Oh, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. 
I get that um, a little bit. Auto, but not sensory meridian response. I think, and I was like, anyway, I, I did. I loved the mouse circus too. Yeah. Um, and when other father carries Coraline up into the sky over the garden and reveals that it's her face, um, that scene is so magical and it feels so special. And it's so clearly other mother delivering everything Coraline wants, like lots of attention and her parents working in the garden instead of writing a seemingly endless seed catalog for a plant store. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, whatever her parents do, I'm confused by it. And it's so, it's so cool throughout the movie seeing how Coraline, even in the regular world, wears these super colorful outfits Mm, um, and then that's reflected in the world that other mother creates for her because clearly she's interested in something better than the gray drizzly Oregon winter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's kind of stuck in and the man, just the, the dead grounds um, and kind of the peeling walls and just the griminess of mm-hmm. her regular world yeah. is the, the very garden, lackluster. Yeah, but the garden party at the end was really fun. I love the yeah. garden party at the Thank end. You. And they have some really delicious looking drinks. Oh, yeah, those looked awesome. And I laughed out loud when it flashed on Mr. Bobinski, who had been ripping freshly planted bulbs out to plant new ones. <laughs> To put beets in the ground. Oh, yeah, they were beets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're whole beets. Uh, As he loves beets. I, yeah, I also cracked up when he hands the beet to Coraline. He's like, eat this. It will make you strong. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's amazing. And speaking of food, the food in this movie is glorious. Any mm-hmm. animated food is going to get a it. thumbs up in yeah. my book. Um, speaking of which, there is a podcast called Imaginary Worlds um, that we've mentioned before in another episode Mm -hmm. um that's excellent and basically just talks about different forms of fiction um but often focusing on fantasy and sci-fi and just different concepts related to them and this episode was all about pretend food yeah uh it was called fantastical feasts i believe um and just came out this past week the podcast is imaginary worlds but Check it out. They articulate why pretend food matters and how it's a factor in world building um, and also in the historical setting that the author was living in at the time. Like they just mentioned C.S. Lewis um, being in a period of food scarcity when he was writing the Narnia books. And that's why there's so much focus on the children constantly being like, a feast, a feast. (laughs) And just like kind of food in general Mm -hmm. in Narnia. So anyway, definitely check that out. Um, But I loved the enormous roast chicken in Coraline. It's so glossy and brown and beautiful. Um, Her, she gets the same breakfast. I was amazed by how the details were very carefully attended to Mm -hmm. um, from the book. So we really appreciated that. That gets a big thumbs up from Dragon Babies Mm -hmm. when you you get the meal And her father's disgusting cooking was also very well portrayed. (laughs) Like the slime and vegetables that he put on her plate was just like... Really unpleasant, and also the rotten food in yes. the fridge. That, that struck me as well. <laughs> Mom opens it to try to make something for her. Yeah, so all around, we loved rewatching this movie. We enjoyed this. It's movie. On, I actually it's on it Netflix twice right now. If you're like in the US, um, I can't speak to other countries, but 
It's there. Check it out. Or you can rent it on Amazon. If you don't realize, <laughs> if you're in the US and it's on Netflix and you have a Netflix account, uh, you can also rent it from Amazon Prime pay? for like $4, which I did. And Metal was like, well, hopefully Neil Gaiman got like a penny out of that. Out of, <laughs> yeah, like, that maybe. $4. Possible, not. but uh, yeah. Anyway, definitely recommend it. And as it is fall... It's a perfect time to yeah. revisit a slightly spooky but still comforting film. Maybe you can be a character for Halloween. Never will be like, wow, that's, uh, that's kind of a throwback, isn't it? It'd be pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, if you are doing a fantasy-related Halloween character character costume. I'm going to dress up as, <laughs> a, as a black cat or whatever. It's like, okay, so you're a black cat. Be like, uh, no, I'm the cat from Coraline, duh. <laughs> It doesn't have a name, okay? I'm just a cat. I won't tell you my name. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, please check out our Coraline book episode if you're interested in thinking about Coraline some more and if you haven't. Um, and we will be back soon with another regular book episode. So thanks for listening. You can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. Or you can just send us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We love our emails. Until next time, I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. Goodbye. Bye.